BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everyone. It's Jack Rico, and thank you for listening to episode 51 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I am not in New York. I am in Spain and in Barcelona, to be exact. A lot of tensions over here as I walked into this. Uh, Barcelona's trying to secede from Spain and become independent. That's happening October 1st. Uh, the Spaniards don't want that to happen. Uh, but the Catalans are like, we've had enough of it. We want out. The streets are filled with protests. Uh, I saw a guy doing graffiti of the word si, uh, democracia. So it's kind of crazy over here. But in the meantime, a lot's going back uh, in the United States. Cardi B is number one on the Hot 100 list. This is incredible. She took out Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, I don't even think, is in the top three or top five. Um, but this is amazing news. Uh, Dominicana in Cardi B. He used to be a former stripper uh, and now is the hottest thing in music. Janet Jackson singing to her uh, songs. So Bodak Yellow has definitely done wonders for her. We're waiting a lot of good things for her for the rest of the year. Also, J-Lo and Daddy Yankee donated about a million dollars to Puerto Rico. Lin-Manuel Miranda is also doing his part. He wrote a guest column on THR urging everybody to also help in any way that they can. New York City. Uh, and uh, the New York State has done tremendous things in terms of uh, supporting and, uh, and and giving resources uh, to Puerto Rico. Obviously, uh, it's the most amount of Puerto Ricans outside of Puerto Rico in the United States. And uh, Hurricane Maria, from what I understand, set back Puerto Rico 20 to 30 years, according to one person. So um, see what you can do. Go donate any way you can. Also, the Latin Grammy nominations came out uh, this week as well. Despacito, which is the song and, and, and the moment that I've been waiting for to see what how the Latin Grammys were going to treat this. Usually award shows of this reputation don't like very, very popular songs. But the Latin Grammys, I, I don't think that they can afford to eliminate in any way or dismiss Despacito simply just because it's a ratings attention getter. Uh, that received four nominations uh, for this year's Latin Grammys. Also, the Colombians really made their presence felt. Maluma has six Latin Grammy nominations along with Shakira and Juanes, who also has five for what I think is one of the best albums of the year in Mis Planes Son a Marte. I've interviewed him before about this album. He thinks it's probably one of the best ones. 
Um, and what's crazy to know is in Grabación del Año, which is Record of the Year, Maluma is featured three times. Chantaje with Shakira and Maluma. Vente Paca with Ricky Martin and Maluma, obviously. And Maluma with his own Felices Los Cuatro, not featuring Mark Anthony, but I'm sure that he's a part of that. Um, really awesome to see also new people like Vicente Garcia, which I'll be interviewing. Sony just sent me an email, see if I want to interview him. This is pre his lat- four Latin Grammys. He's Dominican. And uh, great to see Dominican music as part of the album of the year. Mon Lafert is there. But the one that really has made shockwaves once again uh, in the Latin Grammy nominations is Residente. He has the most amount of nominations. Good for him. Great to see that his music is still alive. And uh, for today, we also have two great guests that I wanted to talk to you about. Luis Enrique de Salcero, also known as El Príncipe de la Salsa, but he's also known as the pioneer of La Salsa Romántica. Um, and he had that song, Yo No Sé Mañana, which is one of my favorite salsa songs of all time. I just love that tune in any version that it's in. We spoke about his new book called Autobiografía. We spoke about immigration and the negative experiences that he had. We talked about the segregation of actually award shows like the Latin Grammy. Should we have a Latin Grammy? Shouldn't we just have the Grammys period and involve all cultures and languages within that? He talked about the challenges of actually uh, exercising on that theory. And we also talked about him being discriminated by American citizens and those experiences. But the thing that probably most surprised me was how he confessed and revealed, and I'm not sure if this is for the first time, it's probably in the book, but he revealed that he has also been discriminated by Latinos, which is kind of crazy, but he says, no, it's not. (laughs) Some of the biggest discrimination that actually goes on is are from Hispanics to Hispanics. So we talked about that. We talked about salsa having a shot at becoming number one and what the possibilities of that is. Uh, I don't necessarily think that that will ever happen in my lifetime, but he thinks that anything is possible, and he gives an actual explanation of how that could probably be achieved, Uh, and I happen to agree with him a lot. Then we have a great interview with Mateo Gil. Now, if you don't know who Mateo Gil is, just off the name, you probably won't, but you've probably seen the movies that he's written. He wrote a movie called Abre los Ojos, which a lot of you know as Vanilla Sky, and he also wrote The Sea Inside, El Mar Adentro with Javier Bardem, one of the best movies I have ever seen in my life. He has a new movie on sci-fi films called Real Live that questions whether life is just medical biology, right? Just molecular structures united together to make people walk, live, breathe, or when we die... Is there a soul? Is there something more than just flesh? And so we get into those philosophical existential conversations uh, from his point of view, and you could see this depicted in the new movie, Real Live. So between those two interviews and a lot of what's going on in terms of pop culture, hope you guys enjoy this podcast. I'll see you back next week in the United States, and we're going to have a lot more good stuff uh, with all the bells and whistles that you guys are accustomed to. All right, here's my interview with Luis Enrique. It's one of the better interviews I've ever had with a singer, especially a salsero, which is my first time interviewing here on the Highly Relevant Podcast. No. 
Salsa has been and continues to be a major musical genre of Latino culture, and Nicaraguan Luis Enrique, also known as the Prince of Salsa, is one of its most important ambassadors. Apart from being one of the pioneers of La Salsa Romantica, he recently wrote a book titled Autobiografia from HarperCollins, currently in bookstores right now, where he reveals details about the difficulties of his immigrant experience in the U.S., fame, music, and family. I want to welcome Luis Enrique right now to the podcast. Luis, how are you? I'm doing really good, Jack. Thank you for the opportunity. So what was the single most important reason for you to write this book? I think that the, the bottom line is that I wanted to share my story. Uh, I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have a 30-year-old long career, and, um, and uh, my fans always want to know a little bit more and more and more about uh, how was my upbringing? Uh, what did I do to become whoever I became in the music industry, etc.? Having said all that, uh, you know, the, the sharing experiences of my uh, situation as an undocumented person coming to the United States in 1978 and having to deal with all that, all, all that that brings, it, it was very important for me to to try to communicate how much you can do uh, even when you don't have legal papers in the United States. Was it a painful experience when you came here? Yeah, it was It was painful in many different ways. Uh, not only that I didn't know what undocumented person was uh, in this country. I, I've never been through that before. Uh, I was only 15 years old. I came to the United States because of the war in my country. It coming very evident that, you know, hard times were about to become a reality for Nicaragua back in 78. Mm -hmm. So my family decided, side of my family decided to send us to the United States where I had an aunt and my mother, which uh, was also an illegal alien, an undocumented person back in the mm -hmm. day, uh, were here. So... You know, uh, coming to the United States in that sense, it was sweet and sour at the same time. I, I mean, I, I was coming to be with my mother finally, whom I had not grown up with in, for most of my life. So, right. coming to meet her and be with her and finally uh, feel what it was to have a mom present in my life was. Uh, mm -hmm. a, a great reason for me to get here. But being undocumented, man, was not the easiest of uh, ordeals for me. And and if you, at the same time, uh, coming to live with my mom, that basically she didn't even, she, she did not know me. And I didn't know her. You know, I was 15. You were strangers. Already, you were strangers. Yeah. We were totally strangers and did not know what my mom did, what, what how she was. Um, uh, it, it was a very uh, sweet and sour relationship for the most part and at the end of the day she decided to go back to Central America to stay in the United States I wanted to finish school uh, which didn't come through because not having papers so you know it, it was very difficult it was a difficult situation just imagine if, you, if you're a father Mm -hmm. Just imagine sending your kid to a strange country, not speaking the language, and on top of it all, 
not having any documentation. Well, I that's mean, that's, that's kind of what, not, yeah, that's what happens with the DACA kids. A lot of parents send them to the United exactly. States and they don't have really documents. They don't really know anybody. Exactly. And it becomes, exactly. uh, like you said, uh, an intense ordeal. Let me ask you this. Do you believe in the American dream today? Do you believe that the United States is still a great country under President Donald Trump? I think that the politics of it all, uh, if you think, and, and if you over look the politics of it all, then you're terribly mistaken uh, your evaluation. But the politics is what makes the changes happen in terms of what we think or what we don't think about the United States. Now, mm -hmm. having said so, for me, as an immigrant uh, that came to this country, you know, uh, not really knowing what was going to happen. Uh, and that was the way for me for 10 years. I was undocumented for 10 years. Uh, but having all the opportunities that this country gives anyone that comes here, uh, meaning uh, works, meaning uh, uh, opportunities for career, meaning uh, a lot of the tools that we never will see in uh, our countries of nature. Uh, it's, it's, I would have to say that you, and I understood this from a very early age in my life, you can become whoever you want to become in the United States. I used to say, puede ser en los Estados Unidos el mejor profesional del mundo, mm -hmm. o puede ser el mejor vago del mundo. Porque, porque, yeah, you know, even, even, even when I was in high school, I went to a high school where the surroundings of my high school were a lot of uh, professional people, uh, a lot of money around my high school, a lot of kids with money, a lot of kids with brand new cars, a lot of kids that, that didn't care about uh, the opportunities that this country gave them, mm -hmm. naturally. And, and I, would, I would say, Damn, if I can just have half of that, if I can just have half of that opportunity, oh my God, I could go to school, I could become this, I could become the teacher that I wanted to become uh, for for niños uh, decapacitados. Uh, man, I could do a lot of things. Ese es el secreto del inmigrante. It's that they have a hustle right, right. that the that that someone born in this country does not have. The immigrant has exactly. a has a chip on their shoulder. They have to prove something exactly. to belong in this country, where the other ones just take it for granted. Right now, in regards to to uh, President Trump, uh, you know, it's it's very hard to understand the population, uh, which for me is not a minority anymore. We are not a minority in this country. We are a vast majority in this country, and and we are also uh what keeps this country going in many different ways i was just in the north side of california mm -hmm. going through sacramento bakersfield uh driving you know i wanted to drive i wanted to go and see the country mm -hmm. and a, a lot of the people that work on the fields are hispanics yeah and for the most part they're uh they're not uh, documented. They're not. They don't have any documents. They're exploited. They're exploited by the by the bigger companies. They're uh, they're underpaid. They don't have any medical. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, this so, is something that Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez in the 60s and the 70s had to deal with, and it still seems to be a problem. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the thing is that a lot of the people, a, a lot of the people that come here, they do not really understand. Mind you, they, 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 they come from poverty, they come from vidas muy miserables, mucha pobreza, mucha falta de cosas, mucha falta de oportunidades. Pero they don't understand that when you come to this country, you come here to really hustle and work out. And, man, and in many sí. ways, um, most of the people get exploited. They don't know about their rights in this country, even when you don't have any documents. You have rights. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know any of it. I had no clue. You know, it's very, it's very um, elusive. In a, it's like a fantasy. You go to the United States and you want to make so much money and you can send money to your family back in Latin America and you can help support the family and help your kids and blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, but there's a lot of things that, that you need to do when you get here in order for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you know, I, I, I've never been one to say, yeah, come uh, illegally to the United States. No. I don't think that's the best way to go. You know what I mean? I, there's a lot of people that die in the process of it. There's a lot of people que se suben al, al tren de la muerte, a la bestia, uh -huh. en, 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 en México, y mueren ahí. Mueren niños, mueren mujeres. Hay niños y mujeres que son prostituidos por los coyotes. En fin, it, it's not the best way. You don't have a great shot coming illegally to the, to, to the United States. No, I, I, I don't think that's the best way to do it. Now, when you do do it, you have to understand what you're coming to. And, uh, there's a lot of ignorance about to what what happens when you get here, mm -hmm. uh, and you and you have to be able to tell the story how it is. You know, uh, I don't think that there's a lot of people out there that are able or willing to tell the story how it is. You you're gonna you're gonna encounter a lot of issues here. You're gonna encounter a lot of discrimination you're going to encounter a lot of impossibilities within the possibilities that you have have you have you, you encountered discrimination luis as a as a celebrity oh yeah from the, from the get-go from the get-go but once you became a star though did that discrimination still continue most definitely and you know the ironic side of it what what was the ironic side of it mm -hmm. then not only i was discriminated by uh american citizens i was discriminated by Latin people what it's that, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Discrimination is across the board. Listen, you, we, we don't suffer discrimination just because we're Hispanics. Hispanics also discriminate Hispanics. And that's something that you don't read, that you rarely hear about. But what happened but to you truth. exactly, though, that you were discriminated by Hispanics? Was this something that happened recently? Well, or? let's say, let's say, let's say, let's, let's talk about, for instance, the dreamers. The, the, the dreamers right now, um, uh, a lot of people that are uh, willing to splash social media with their opinion about to, about to, what the dreamers uh, uh, what what needs to be done about the dreamers. They they a lot of people are so irresponsible and so vulgar and and so morboso en cuanto en cuanto a decir que los dreamers en en muchos de los casos. Mm -hmm. Son indios. Son indios. That's, that's, man, you know, eso es una manera bien derogativa de cómo latinos discriminan a otros latinos. De acuerdo. 
es una eso es una vergüenza para cualquier persona en estos momentos hablar de unos jóvenes que están luchando por tener una vida en este país porque sus padres los trajeron así además eh, y que tienen la posibilidad de tener una vida buena en este país, que han comenzado a luchar en este país y que sobre todo eh, conocen, lo único que conocen en este país, porque muchos de ellos no crecieron en su país de, de origen, de sus padres. Uh -huh. Entonces, los latinos son, son también parte de esa discriminación. O sea, eh, yo creo que la discriminación que yo viví no solamente era por los americanos, también fue por algunos latinoamericanos. Y aprendí de ellos, aprendí de ellos. ¿A qué aprendí? Aprendí a no juzgar a, a la gente del Perú, a la gente de Guatemala, a la gente de Nicaragua, a la gente de Honduras. Venga donde venga, sea lo más humilde que sea. Aprendí a respetar a la gente, a, a respetar a las otras nacionalidades. Ojo, al final del día, tú te quitas la nacionalidad y eres un ser humano. Y eso es lo right. que para mí... Eso es para lo que para mí me, 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 me hizo desde muy temprano aprender toda esta situación. ¿no? Luis, I wanted to talk to you about language, um, which is one of those things you obviously have assimilated and acculturated to the United States from Nicaragua. Um, did, you, right. did you ever, while learning English, did you ever think about also singing salsa in English the way Tito Nieves did to sort of bring salsa well, to more of a mainstream? Well, you know what? I always thought, I always thought, just like American music gets into our veins and our soul when we don't speak any English back in Latin America, for me, I used to listen to the Bee Gees, for example. I didn't know, I didn't know what they were songs, what the songs were saying, but I loved it. Right. And I think music has, music has the power to communicate even when you don't speak the language. Now, if you speak the language, it's for sure. You're gonna, you're gonna understand a lot better the message. But the truth of the matter is that you don't, you don't uh, necessarily have to uh, uh, sing in English for salsa to be out there. A salsa has been out there for a long, long, long time, without even uh, getting uh, to write uh, English lyrics for it. You know, mm -hmm. um, our our peers uh, really fought for this genre of music uh, to be popular within the American market or the English speaking market long before we came along. And, and, and they did it in, 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 in many instances and, uh, without having to, to do the songs in English. They did it in Spanish or they did it as a Latin jazz, as an, an instrumental song. And, 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 and they were recognized for it, you know, Tito Puente, Machito, a bunch of other people did their 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 job um, as to put the, putting the music out there, uh, and 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 it was very well respected as as that. So I, for me, it was never a priority. You know what I mean? It right. was never a priority to to do that in, in in English. So you never thought of doing Yo No Se Mañana in English. There was never any discussions by the record label or yourself that you had a huge hit on your hands that needed to be shared with the world in different languages. Nat King Cole sang in Spanish. Uh, why wouldn't well, Luis Enrique you know sing I, in English? Yeah, what, you know what? Uh, at the time when the song came out, uh, a lot of my friends said, why don't you do this in English? You know, And the record label just didn't pay attention to it. That's basically it. 
we could we could have done a real good job at it, uh, uh, right, rewriting the lyrics in in, in English. And, I would have uh, loved to have heard "Yo No Se Mañana" in English. That would have been a, 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 an yeah, awesome it, thing. It would it would have it would have it would have been really cool. They did a version of the song. There did so many versions of that song already, but they did a version of "Yo No Se Mañana" in um, Holland. And they <laughs> That's did awesome. It, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they, they, you know, and they rewrote the lyrics. Uh, apparently, what the what the the lyrics the lyrics that they wrote were not uh, exactly as the original story. But truth of the matter is that a lot of people got hit to it because they did it in their own language. So, uh, yeah, it would it would have been cool. It would have been cool. Let's see if I get another shot at it with a, another song. Before I die, <laughs> I, I, I would love to hear it. Uh, two more questions, Luis, before I let you go. Uh, one of the things I yeah. wanted to talk to you about was Despacito. It reached number one, 16 weeks. Uh, it was a song mostly in Spanish right. with some English. And the right. question arose about reggaeton going to number one, but what about the other Latin genres like salsa, bachata? Do you think salsa will ever have a shot? At becoming number one on the Hot 100 American Billboard charts, I'm not sure. You know, it would be unfair to say so, but don't don't take it uh, for granted. Why? Listen, uh, for a lot of people, for example, Conga or Gloria Stefan back in the day, right? Was was salsa for a lot of people? You know, mm -hmm. for a lot of people in the American market now. Can that happen with uh, today with the amount of information that you that we manage in the internet and you know yeah my, anything is possible you know I wonder if anybody had ever thought that a song like Despacito would have reached number one throughout the world I mean that was probably unconceivable up until now that the song did it mm -hmm. but you know it's it's hard for anybody to sit down and say. You know, I'm gonna hit number one across the board with this song and and blah 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 blah. I think any genre has that possibility if the song connects, if the time is right. Everything has to come into play. You know, we didn't think that Jonas and Mañana was gonna be a worldwide uh, hit like it was, and it flew out of our hands. By the time that we kind of realized that the song was a hit. There was gonna be a hit. It was already a hit, and, <laughs> right. and w w yeah, we didn't we didn't sit down and say, "Oh, we're gonna man, we're gonna kill it with this." No, I had a, 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 a you know, I I kind of thought that we had a good opportunity with it to hit radio and hit my fan base, but I didn't think it was gonna be all over. That's 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 unconceivable sometimes, you know, and and it's something that you have to uh, play out. You know, you have support from a record label, you. And, you know, you do the, the, the things that you need to do with a record, uh, you have a great chance, definitely. And then my final question, Luis, you've won a Grammy, an English language Anglo Grammy, and you've won a Latin Grammy as well, many Grammys. Yeah. I want to talk about these segregated award shows. Don't you believe that dividing award shows by language and culture, it only propagates the idea of division rather than unity? Don't you feel that Today, we should have one award show that unites all languages, sort of like the way the Oscars. You don't see a Latino Oscars, but you do see the right. Premios Billboard, Latin American Music Award Billboard, Latin Grammys. Do you think it's time we end that and just become one award show, or do you feel that there's that there needs to be a Latin Grammys? 
Well, if you go by in terms of television, we will not be able to have one award show. Why? Because it's it's meant two huge markets, and yeah, somebody's going to end up losing airtime, and in fact, it's going to end up losing awards uh, because of genres and and within the Latin music as it is within the American music. Now, what I do think is that we don't have opportunities. Uh, we're still fighting as 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 Hispanics. Not only uh, you mentioned the Oscars and you mentioned the uh, um, uh, the Grammys and all that. As Hispanics, I don't think we get the shots that we need to get. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that there. I think we we are overlooked, and I think in many instances, uh, you know, uh, the industries are very uh, disc discriminatory. You know what I mean? Right. They they feel like they're doing us that like they're doing us a favor. They're not doing <laughs> us a favor. You know what I mean? Right. We 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 are we are talented and cultural people. We have a lot to say and a lot to offer. But you know the industries ha have been playing this game uh, for a long time. You know, um, I think the other day I read something that had to do with this. Um, I think it was on Billboard and. And he, and he mentioned that, uh, that it, nothing truly has changed, you know. We think it has, but we, it hasn't changed, you know. Discrimination and lack of opportunities uh, and lack of roles in terms of movies uh, are still the same. It's, it's the same thing. We, just, we, see it, we see it more now because we have more access to communication, but... The truth of the matter is that opportunities per se, that's not a whole lot of it. Autobiografia is the name of Luis Enrique's new book, currently in bookstores and Amazon right now. Luis Enrique, thank you so much for the great conversation on music, on your life, on politics, on everything. I think we basically covered everything. Guys, go check out the new book from Luis Enrique, Autobiografia, and thank you so much for being on the podcast, Luis. Thank you, guys. Have a good one, man. You too, man. Thank you so much, and much success to you, and hopefully I'll get to listen to that English language track soon, soon enough, right? Hopefully. Hopefully <laughs> soon. <laughs> All right, Luis. Take it easy. Bye-bye. All right, brother. Be good, man. Ladies and gentlemen of the future, my name is Mark Jarvis, and I'm the first man ever to be resurrected, the laboratory man, Frankenstein's monster. But there is another way to look at it. I was going to die. I was going to disappear. Forever. And I'm alive again. Joining me now is Mateo Gil. He was one of the, he, he's actually one of my favorite writers and now directors. Uh, if you've heard of these movies, Abre Tus Ojos, which is a movie that you might know here in the United States called Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz and Cameron Diaz. Also one of the best films I have ever seen in my life, The Sea Inside, El Mar Adentro with Javier Bardem. He wrote it. Alejandro Menabar directed it. And one Western, if you want to see, that does not take place in the United States, but takes place in Bolivia, of all the places in the world. It's called Blackthorn with uh, one of the most beloved actors in Sam Shepard, who recently passed away. And Mateo is now the writer and director of a new science fiction movie for sci-fi films called Real Live. He joins me now on the podcast. Mateo, un placer. ¿Cómo estás? 
Muy buenas tardes, un placer. What subject matters are you exactly exploring in the science fiction film of Real Live? Uf, well, exactly, I don't know, but many things. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm mostly interested in why are we so fond of life after death? Why we look for life after death, uh, first of all? Mm -hmm. uh, why we strive on life after death? Why? That's my question. <laughs> when did this question come to you? Did it come to you when you were a kid, uh, as an adult, as a professional? When did that question bug you? When did it start? Uh, I don't know, because this is a very general question, but uh, I can tell you that the idea for this movie, the storyline, uh, came to me when I was uh, writing Open Your Eyes. Oh, wow. by Alejandra Menabar. Yeah, because in that movie, um, there was a... We named the concept of uh, cryonization. It had a part in the movie. And uh, when we were researching about cryonization, uh, I was always asking myself, why is people in the future going to be to have any interest in resurrecting us, people from today? Why? Right. What for? And then, what are you going to do in the future if they resurrect you? If if your people is not there, if your job, your uh, hobbies, your life, your uh, everything in your life is not there anymore. What for? That were the two questions that I had in mind all the time when I wrote this story. It's a very existential and philosophical sort of question to ask. And uh, you do it so well in this movie. It really talks about immortality. It talks about oh, common life, but it's also a sort of romance. This isn't, how would you describe the film that you wanted, that you directed? I, you wrote it because you're more of a screenwriter than a director. This is your second movie. But yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a humanity about these characters that I don't usually see in science fiction films. Uh, usually science fiction films are action science fiction films. But this is more of a science yeah. fiction drama. <laughs> Or love story. Yeah, the, the thing is that I, uh, I wasn't looking for a science fiction movie. I wrote my story. And I, did it, I needed the future to tell this story. And the fact that there is a future in the movie is, is, is why the movie is a science fiction movie. If there weren't any future, the, the, this movie would be a drama about life. <laughs> right. How? Uh, I wrote my story. Uh -huh. I don't know if it is a science fiction story or a drama story or a love story, but because for me, it's all, it mainly a love story. What, what I noticed is that there was a lot of flashbacks to his relationship with this woman and the relationship yeah. with his friends. And now that they weren't there anymore, he felt like there was no reason to live. Yeah, more or less, because you could find these those reasons to live. You could find it, find find them if you wanted to do it. But the 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 question is, what for? Why again? If you had your friends, your life, why another one? Why a new one? Because maybe the only thing that 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 gives sense to our lives 
is that we have one unjust one. Because uh-huh. if you can have a lot of lives, you become Barabbas, you know? <laughs> Barabbas. What <laughs> for? <laughs> How much research have you done about this? I'm sure that you've been having a lot of conversations with friends, industry friends about this same topic. What have you learned about it? What, what has, has anybody told you something that has surprised you with their answer? Have they given you an, an answer that you're satisfied with? If I am honest, I, I didn't do so many research because it, it was mostly uh, an inner research. research. Mm-hmm. I was looking into myself, looking the the questions and the answers that were useful for me. So for me, the the writing and directing of this movie became a kind of a trip for me, for myself. And if this trip is useful for other people, that would be great. But in the first turn, when I was writing the story, I was thinking maybe no producer is going to produce this movie. Never, ever. Why? But I don't mind. I have to write it. Because when I was writing it, I, I was thinking in these times nowadays, I, I feel that producers are looking for comedies and action movies and no inner movies, if you want. Hmm. But I needed to write it, and I, and, I, and I said to myself, if the movie is interesting for people, then we will do it. If the movie is only interesting for me, it's okay. It's my date. Mateo, you're from Spain, and you do movies that uh, theatrically release in the United States. When you write, are you writing for Spaniard audiences, or are you writing for United States audiences? No, never. I never write for United States audiences. But I have to admit that this movie had to be made in English if we wanted to get the, 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 the money. Mm-hmm. And also we need a, a, an English-speaking country where cryonization is a real thing today. Wait a minute, so cryonization is actually a real thing today? Because I've heard stories where, I'm not sure if you've heard this, but I have heard that Walt Disney and Steve Jobs are cryonized. I don't know. I think most of them are myths, uh, legends, if you want. But uh, there are people cryonized in California and United States. Wow. Not many okay. countries have cryonization storehouses, but United States have. Um, and, and, I, and also, I needed a country that I could shot in Spain and pretend that the, 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 the places were in this country. So California was a, was a place for me because in the Canary Islands, we can pretend we are in California. I, I know very well Canary <laughs> right. Islands because I was born there. Right. And uh, I, I knew that we could pretend that. So the movie uh, happens in California, the past, the present day, the future, we don't know. Uh, but this shot in the Canary Islands, actually. You also said that you feel that producers are looking for comedies and action movies today. How would you describe... And horror movies, because and... those are the genres in, in, in crisis times. <laughs> right, right. Well, I was going to ask you about that. What do you think, when, when you write, what do, you, do you write for the audience or do you write for yourself and direct movies for yourself or for the audience? Uh, I, it's, a, it's a very difficult question question i think i i wrote i write for the audiences but i like to think that audiences are a little bit like me so <laughs> at the end i write things i would like to see in the screen 
but I, I always keep the audience in my mind, uh, especially uh, when I'm, I'm writing, I try to, to make everything understandable, every feeling understandable and, and close to any person, you know. Um, but if I am honest, I don't know what audiences want today. I know what I would like to see in the screen. Oh, I wanted to ask you, Mateo, uh, a question about Latino and, uh, and Spanish directors. Uh, the movie It, which is a horror movie that was a remake from, I believe, 1986, just broke a record for the highest grossing horror film in the world. Uh, and it was directed by an Argentinian by the name of Andres Muschetti, which is a good friend of Guillermo del Toro. And so now Andres Muschetti is like the hot new thing, but he's Latino. And then if you remember Fede Alvarez, who's from Uruguay, he did the remake of Evil Dead. And he recently did the big hit horror movie thriller uh, Don't Breathe. A lot of yeah. Spanish directors do a lot of horror movies, too. What is it about Latino and Spanish directors that are so involved in horror movies today? Um, I really don't know. I think that there was a kind of movement, if you want, in the late 90s and uh, the first of the 21st first, uh, century, uh, a kind of movement of directors making good horror movies in Spain. So horror Spanish films uh, get a certain name in the world. So, so a reputation, right? A reputation for quality horror films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is that for producers... The horror genre is a very is a is a very good genre because um, people always want to see horror movies. But if I am a little bit honest with you, I'm a little tired about the horror movies. Wow. <laughs> okay. Myself. Why? So no, yes, a little, a little bit, just a little bit. I, I see the good ones, the big ones, but not every horror movie because. As uh, as audience myself, I got a little bit tired. I need a little bit more than horror. So, for example, in my movie, there is a little bit of horror, just a little bit, but it's a, a kind of existential, if you want, horror. But I'm looking for something more, not just the feeling of horror. Um, but that's a very personal thought, if you want. Right. I don't know exactly why horror is so uh, it's a so successful genre, but I, I feel that the, it's good for producers. At the end of your of your movie Real Live, there's a moment where you write a description of what life is. You say that yeah. um, life is not this divinity thing that everybody makes it out to seem like this special, beautiful thing that only God can create. Life is just a matter of molecular structures interacting with each other to yeah. create life. How do you view yeah. life? Is life just science, medical biology, or is there something bigger <laughs> to life, something bigger to the soul? What is your opinion? Let me tell you, you are the first one that makes me this question. And for me... This paragraph, this uh, line you are talking about, is the core of the movie. Wow. Okay. Um, that's awesome. That is yeah, so cool. That's it. That's the core. Uh, let me tell you, I would like to believe in something beyond us, beyond earth, beyond life, beyond uh, death. 
But something inside me says, no, man, life finishes when you are dead. That's all. And that's all right. And that's all right. And for me, we are always talking about how is this the, the news of when we, when we discover that there is extraterrestrial life, everyone thinks, think, uh, think that, that that is going to be a big news for, for mankind, for man thinking. Mm -hmm. But I think that the big one, the, the real big news is going to be, and it's very close, It's going to be when a scientist demonstrates that life is just uh, what they call um, an emergent property. And mm. that means a thing that just appears when you have the, a certain amount of atoms in a certain circumstances or conditions, if you want. And they are very close to, to discover that, to demonstrate that life is nothing special. It's just an emergent property. I want to accept this idea in my life. I don't want to die thinking, oh my God, I was wrong. I want, I want to die in peace to, to think, okay, that's okay. My life was okay and that's all. Pero Mateo, okay. ¿tú no piensas <laughs> que hay un, 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 el espíritu sobrevive cuando uno muere? You don't think that there's life after death in the form of soul? Uh, a hell in a... In Déjame decirte que esta película es el resultado de esa pregunta. Y mi respuesta ahora es me gustaría creer, pero no termino de creérmelo. Hay algo dentro de mí que me dice chico, acepta lo que hay, que es lo que tienes. <laughs> bueno, más, la, uh -huh. la respuesta para mí es da igual si lo hay o no. Tienes que acabar esta vida en paz con la idea de que esto es todo y está bien. Es, 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 Lo que es venga al... después, bueno, si viene será un regalo. Si no viene, pues también estará bien. Sí, yo, tú sabes que yo creo que... I think there's a lot of people that... There's 50% of the population that probably think that death is nothing. But there's also the, yeah. the other 50% that do believe that there is life after death. Because... I think the way you carry yourself in daily life is by doing good things, thinking that good things will yeah. happen to you when you die. But, but if, yeah. if it's nothing, then what is the purpose of living? But you know, the, the purpose of living is living itself. That's it. That's it. And that's good. And that's enough. But we have to learn to, to accept that. If, if there is something else outside, alive after death, That's okay, too. But we have to learn to... I think that's my opinion, of course, that I don't want to be asking or... No, I want to accept this. That's okay. Life is beautiful. And accept it and live it and, and enjoy it. That's the message of the, the movie. I don't know if there is something uh, after death. And the, 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 the man in the movie doesn't know either. But he needs to find his own answers. Uh, before we go, I yeah. wanted to ask you if you can recommend to us three of your favorite movies that have influenced your life that we should watch tonight on DVD. Hombre, a mí hay varias. Lo que pasa es que no voy a decir películas que resulten extrañas para nadie, pero a mí hay... Hay más, pero bueno, podría decir tres películas que a mí me cambiaron la forma de ver el cine y me impulsaron a ver películas. Uh, one of them is uh, 2001, 
a Space Odyssey. A classic. By Stanley Kubrick. Of course, that was a, a shock for me. Another one was, was of course, uh, Citizen Kane. That, would mean, for me, was like a discovering cinema game. Right. And uh, there is another masterpiece called Run by Akira Kurosawa. Right. I love Akira Kurosawa, the whole thing. But especially Run, for me, was like uh, being born again. Wow. <laughs> and what, what about Spanish films? Películas españolas. Sí. Yo adoro a un cineasta español que no es tan conocido fuera, porque hacía películas muy, muy españolas, que eran muy españolas, que era Berlanga, Luis García Berlanga. Hacía películas en la dictadura, que eran comedias, pero por debajo llevaban una carga crítica enorme wow. y eran magistrales. Ajá. Y yo creo que sus películas, tiene como cuatro o cinco películas que para mí son todas obras maestras absolutas. Eh, esas, esas podrían ser, pero si quieres que te diga una, hay una película española que te habrán citado otros muchos directores ¿Sí? que se llama El Espíritu de la Colmena que es una obra maestra absoluta de Víctor Erice que también me marcó muchísimo cuando la vi La tengo que ver entonces, Mateo Muchísimas gracias por Uf, el tiempo El Espíritu de la Colmena es un peliculón I have to see it then this weekend, that's it It's happening this weekend <laughs> Muchísimas gracias, Mateo Gil uh, He is the writer of director okay. of the new movie Real Live from Sci-Fi Films. The movie comes out in theaters September 29th and on video on demand and digital HD on October 3rd. Mateo Gil, muchísimas gracias por la compañía. Gracias, amigo. Que vaya bien. Lazarus, come forth. You couldn't be the most famous person on the planet. He's not responding! <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.